if you go to home and garden shows or maybe the sportsman's show or anything like that, and you know some of the booths will have fill out a card, put your name on this, and somebody's going to win a fishing rod or a trip or whatever. Do you fill those out? How many of you fill those out? How many of you don't fill those out? I'm getting to be, I was in the first group, I'm moving to the second group. You never win. It's not that I don't believe somebody got something, it's just never me. I I don't know. I think a lot of us are like, well, it's not going to be me. You know, I'm not going to get picked. I was never an athlete, so I never got picked when the teams were picked. I was always the poor sucker at the end. Okay, who's going to take Jim? You know, and I think that sort of stuck with me. You know, who would get? I, I think of the twin. I was thinking, spring is coming by faith. Spring is coming, and the twins, and and watching the twins, and of course, kiss cam, and somebody gets picked, and now this whole crowd, the camera zooms in, and that's always fun. But I think a lot of us say, well, well, we'll never get picked. Well, what if God said, I'm going to pick teams. And he says, I'm going to go through the crowd and I'm going to pick teams. Most of us would probably sit there and say, well, there's no way he's going to pick me. You know, I know he'll he'll pick him and he'll pick her and et cetera. But me? No. Well, we want to talk about today that, no, he does want to pick you. He would look down the aisle and he would say, I want to pick you. And I want you to put your name in there. I'm looking at each one of you. He would say, I want to pick you. Now, I realize that may be hard for you to believe, but I want to help you believe that. Now, so far, we've been talking about this. This fits the week, too. Why would these work? Um... So far, we've been talking about that God does notice each one of us. That he knows us, he created us, he knows our name, he knows who we are, what we can do. Yes, he knows the bad we've done and the the foolish mistakes. He knows the good we've done. And with all of that, he still wants each one of us. He would pick us. He loves us and offers us new life. He invites us to come and follow Jesus, and part of the promise of that is that we can be born again and experience transformation. We become his renovation project that he wants to take our lives and work in our lives because we've also seen, and Steve read the verse again this morning in the communion meditation, He picks each of us because he has things, he has things for each of us to do. He has plans for you, things he wants you to do. And I realize a lot of us would sit here and say, there's no way God has things for me to do. And even though you may not believe that, it is true because the Bible says it's true. God would hire you and wants to. And we've talked and we spend most of our time talking about how God would want to use you in the church and in the ministries of the church, and that's true. But what we've been talking about the last couple Sundays 
is that God not only has things he wants to use you for in the church, he has work for you to do out there. As you live your life all week long, God also wants to hire you because he has things he wants to do through you out there all week long. And that's what we want to talk about. Now, there's one big hurdle as we look at this. And I don't think the big hurdle is that we don't want that. I don't think most of you, I mean, you're already sitting here in a church service on Sunday morning. So I don't think most of us are probably sitting here saying, I don't want anything to do with God. And we're probably not even saying, well, I wouldn't want God to use me. They'd be like, wow, that'd be amazing. And I think most of us would say, well, it's not that I would be sad if somebody I work with would find their way to church or find their way to Jesus. I'm not against that. I think most of us are sitting there and our hang-up, our hurdle is, well, there's no way that can actually happen. There's no way God's going to use me. How would I do that? And I think we don't picture that. We don't see the how. And so if we don't understand the how, then it's never going to happen. And so today, that's really what I want to talk about. That how. Two weeks ago, I tried to lay out this concept and look at all the scriptures that showed that God does, in fact, want to do something out there. And he wants to use each of us to do that. And then last Sunday, I had David McKnight come in. And if you weren't here, I hope you'll listen to that on the website. Because he told story after story of real people here in the Twin Cities today that are letting God use them to touch people out there. And I actually, just if you were here and thought those were some great stories, I've talked to David this week, and he's going to come back after Easter, and we're going to offer a two- or three-week workshop. So that each person, you can come and say, what's right about me? And how would God want to use that? And David's going to come and facilitate that. So we'll have more details. We're still working it out. But that's going to happen after Easter. Because I I think we all wrestle with how could God use me? And so today, and I promise you this is the last sermon on this, the third time. But I want to get real practical. How? How, how, What would that look like? How in the world tomorrow could God start to use me? And and I want to make you, I hope to help you see, I can't make you, I want to help you see how that could actually happen and how it wouldn't be as weird as you might think it might be. So what are some practical steps that God could use your life right as you're living it right now? So I just want to go through some practical steps. The first thing is to pray. And probably you're already there saying, I don't have a clue how this would work. Good. Because that's exactly where God needs you to be, so you'll start praying and talking to him about it. And you can be totally honest and say, God, I I don't believe what Jim said. There's no way you want to use me. But in case you do, I'll jump off this cliff. Let's see what it would look like. Or I don't have a clue how to do this. I don't have a clue what to say. I am lost That's okay. That kind of coming to God and saying, I don't have all the answers. You're looking to him. That's where he does his best work. It's not when you come and say, okay, God, I got this figured out. Here's the 10-step plan. Now bless my plan. 
that's probably where God is going to say, I don't think so. He's rather would say, great, now you don't know what to do. Now let me show you how I can use you. Let me show you who I want you to talk to or who I just want you to touch in some simple act. It may not even involve talking. Please hear that. So we begin by praying. And we keep praying. It goes through the whole process. But we'll talk about it once. Be praying. The second thing to do is be yourself. Steve read that passage from Ephesians. I put it back in the sermon again. But you are who you are by God's design. And that's what I want you to capture out of that. So if that's true, and he designed you in light of what he, how he wants to use you, then the biggest mistake you could be is to try and not be you. And that's part of what I want you to capture. Too often, I think, and I, even as I listened to David uh, talk last week, I thought, boy, if I'm not an extrovert and I talk to people easily, then I could easily decide, well, God can't use me. Not true. Whoever you are, extrovert, introvert. Your interests are over here, your interests are over here. Your circle of friends are over here, over here. It doesn't matter. God wants to use you as you are. You are his workmanship. He designed you to be you because of how he wants to use you. So, if that's true, the greatest mistake you could make is to try and be somebody else. And I think that happens a lot in churches. We sit in the pew and say, well, if I could talk like, if I could sing like, If I could make things clear like, if I could be them, if I could be her, if I could be him. And God says, I don't want you to be them. I want you to be you. Don't look for anybody else. Look at your life and who you are, the experiences you've had, what you do do, and say, okay, God, this is how you've made me. How do you want to use me? be yourself. Don't try and be somebody else. Wherever you are, you're where God wants you to be. Open your eyes and ask, so how do you want to use me? That's that prayer thing. The third thing is not only to pray and to be yourself, but don't avoid the world. John 17, Jesus says some challenging things. It's a part of his prayer As he's ending his time on earth and he's getting ready to face the cross, Easter, and return to heaven. And this huge prayer of Jesus, it's most of chapter 17, is sort of his final summary prayer for all of his disciples and what he's done. And I want to read three verses he says in this prayer. He's praying for us at this point. And he says, they are not of the world, these who are following me. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, if you look at the first sentence Jesus says and the last sentence Jesus says in this passage, you might think it's a contradiction. 
but it's not. The first sentence is, they are not of this world even as I am not of it. We have talked in the last weeks, God calls us to a different life. We looked at Jesus' passage about he can't pour new wine into old wineskins. God offers us a new life that is different because he can't bless the broken life of this world because it's broken. He said, I need to give you new wineskins so I can pour new wine in. That's what Jesus is referring to in this first sentence, that we're not like everybody else. We're followers of Jesus Christ, and we have God working in our life so we can live a new life. We have something to offer the world that's not like everybody else on the factory floor, not like everybody else in the cubicles, because God's working in our lives. We're not like we're different. But that does not mean, and this is what Christians at times have misunderstood through history, that does not mean we pull out of the world and we avoid it. If we are to be salt and light, adding something new and different, we are of no value in the salt shaker. And to think it is more spiritual to withdraw from the world is to defeat the very purpose Jesus says in the third sentence. Father, I'm not pulling them out of the world. As you asked me to leave heaven and you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Not to pull away, but to get out there. Salt and light where it's needed. A different way of living where it's needed and people are looking for a different way of living. And that's what we're called to do just as Jesus did. He's sending us. As we are out there, the next thing to do is let God be creative. As I said earlier, I think you have an advantage if you don't have a 10-step plan that you've already prepared saying, this is how God's going to use me with this person on this day and in this way. You're not nearly as smart as God. So please take that 10-step plan and tear it up and throw it in the trash can and let God be creative. One of the things I hope you heard in the stories that David told last week is how people were just like, I don't even know what's going on here, but I feel like God needs me to talk to this person. Or I feel like God needs me to go over here and cook food for people working in a crisis. And so they just did it. And later it made sense and they saw what God was doing. But they were allowing God to be creative. Don't ever put God in a box. He can only use me this way. This is what he's going to do. This is who he wants me to work with. That's putting God in a box. Don't do that. Be very open to allow God to just use you as he sees fit. And that will surprise you. Pray and just be open. Because he will have you touching some people you never anticipated, doing some things that you wouldn't have ever anticipated doing or you wouldn't have thought are important. But he is working in his own way and plan. Just trust him and do it. And watch what he does. Allow him to be creative. The next thing we need to do is to get to know people and let them get to know us. 
especially today, we're not going to help people if we don't know them. If we can't talk with people, we can't understand them. And we can't affect people if we're strangers. And too often as Christians, we withdraw and we don't know those people out there. There are studies that show that after being a Christian for one year, a majority of Christians have no significant non-Christian friends. After one year, a majority of Christians have no significant non-Christian friends. Now, if that's the case, and, and you need to ask yourself that. How many people do you have in your circle who are not Christian, who you could tell me right now, these are the significant things going on in their life, these are the details about their life, this is what they're worried about right now. Or this is what they're struggling with. Or this is what they're working on. Where we really know somebody. And too often we have to admit, I really don't have anybody like that. How can we be salt and light if we're not out there getting known and knowing people? And that also lets us know what they're thinking and what their questions are. But we have to get to know them. And we have to let them get to know us. One, the reason I'm talking about this is one of the stereotypes Christians have, which is wrong, is that we should present this picture that we've got our act all together because we're a Christian. And if we don't, they won't want what we have to offer them. That's actually not true. Because if you have a perfect life, your non-Christian friend is going to actually say, I can't even relate to you. Or they're going to say, what a hypocrite. They're just lying. They're either not going to be able to relate to you or they're not going to believe you. What they will relate to is the person who says, yeah, I've struggled with that. I still struggle with that. I faced that. That, that was the worst time in my life. Then they can say, oh, you face what I face. You struggle like I struggle. I can relate to you. And you're real. And you're genuine. And you're believable. But that's part of us being open to and letting people get to know us as we get to know them. I'm talking about building bridges. Bridges with people so that we might be able to help them find the truth. And the next thing I want to say is to touch lives. This is one of the most powerful things we can do. And for this, I just want you to look at Jesus. Jesus' power, I would say to you, didn't first of all come from his teaching. I fully believe he was the greatest teacher that ever lived. But I think also that a lot of the power of Jesus' life is from what he did way before he ever taught. He showed people he cared by his life. Whether that was stopping and talking to them when nobody else would talk to them. Whether that was noticing somebody in a tree that nobody else would notice whether that was not being afraid to touch a leper that nobody else would touch, whether that was to treat an adulteress with respect and say, I still care about you and you're not worthy to be stoned and help her straighten out her life, 
or to go to a tax collector's home or to feed people that were starving. By his actions, he showed he cared, and then people wanted to listen to what he had to say. And that is the power that is available to all of us today. And please notice Jesus didn't do all of this in the temple and in the synagogue. He did it out there. As he was traveling, as he was in the marketplace, as he was on his way to work, and he encountered people in his ordinary life, he stopped and cared about them, and that's where the power came from. You can do that too. We all can. Show an interest in someone's life. Ask them how things are going. You seem down today. What's up? And guys, even you can ask that. What's going on? And once you know, next week, how's it going? Sometimes that's all people want is somebody who notices and cares. It doesn't that you have answers. You're just letting them know your life matters to me. And I'm interested in what's going on in your life. Sometimes that may lead to, as Adolphus and Mercy are doing, say, we've got a single mom here with three kids who just need some furniture. And we've got some friends at church who have used furniture in their basements or their garages. And we're going to collect some and we're going to give it to her. And I'll guarantee you before Adolphus and Mercy say a word to her, if she's not a Christian... She's going to know they care. And these Christians, they don't even know in this church care. And look at all this furniture and dishes. And now, do you think when they say something, she's going to want to listen? Of course she is. Because they first cared. It doesn't have to be something dramatic like collecting furniture for somebody. It can be just saying, hey, I know what's going on. Or, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll pick you up. I know your car is broken. It's not that far out of your way. I'll swing by and pick you up on the way to work. Or let me drop you off. Or I'll help you paint that room. It can be little ways that every one of us would feel comfortable doing. But it still says, I'll give up some of my time, some of my energy, because you matter to me and I care. And I will help you in your life. That's all Jesus was doing. And that is still such a powerful thing today. In fact, I would say it's getting even more powerful because people in general are less willing to do that today. They're more wrapped up in themselves. And so the act of sacrifice, the act of helping, the act of caring is actually more powerful today. If we'll just do it. That allows us then to take them further. We can actually go that final step, and this is the scariest part, to having spiritual conversations. Because that's what Jesus did. I'm not talking about necessarily preaching. In fact, again, please get that out of your head. Because if you're sitting there saying, well, I could never preach, I could never give them this big speech, my first reaction would be, great, I'm glad you can't. Don't. 
oftentimes a spiritual conversation is just a simple question. Well, what do you think about that? Well, where, where do you think we go when we die? Or do you have any place you look when you're in over your head? Some little questions, or what's your spiritual background, or what's your church background? And what you hear out of that may open doors to other questions and other conversation, and suddenly you're having a spiritual conversation, and you never had to preach. I think you and I both know people today, if they feel like somebody's preaching to them, they run the other way. I've told you I have to hide the fact I'm a pastor when I'm out with non-Christians. They, they just, their defenses go up. He's going to preach at me. And they just shut down. We don't need preaching. We need spiritual conversations. Simple things about what do you think happens when we die? Or how, do you ever picture God? What do you think about God? Any answer helps you understand where they're at. Any answer may help you find what's the next thing to ask them about. And maybe that's two weeks later. This is a gentle, loving process of getting to know them and going to that next level beyond the weather and the fishing to what's going on inside. And you have to go at the rate they're ready to go. But you can go there. And if you're praying, and if God is working... Doors slowly open, and you have that conversation, or that conversation begins, and you never know where it will lead. You can do this. We all can. It's what God asks us to do. He has people in every one of our lives he would like to touch through us. It doesn't have to be preaching, and it fits each of us and who we are. But we have to say to God, okay, I I don't have a clue how to do this, but I think you do want to use me, and I want to cooperate. And I'm going to start this week, and I'm just going to try and have my eyes open. And listen for a prompting to just go talk to that person. Ask them how they're doing. Help somebody with something. Some little way. If you'll ask God and offer yourself to him this week, I promise you he'll do something to start using you. He won't waste you. He has work he has prepared in advance for you to do. Father, this is scary stuff for most of us. And we need your help. And I ask for that even today. The Spirit can use something I said, something we've thought about. Most of all, I ask you to help us have enough courage to take that risk. And to say to you, okay, I'll let you try and use me this week. Beyond that, I don't have a clue. And I know that's all you need, Father. Our willingness, our openness that you might want to use me, each one of us. Help us, use us this week. In your son's name.